please do your own research. Nothing here is investment advice. So we're going to have a chat about fast fashion today. And I'll take us back a few years to um, one of the most excited expressions I've seen on your face since I've known you. We might be going back. About fast fashion. We, we might. Well, it's funny, how, it's funny how the world works, right? So, so you came out of a call with a guy called Arndt Brockman about seven years ago. And Arndt had worked at Inditex. And, and you were just very satisfied because whatever the industry is, okay, you know, fast fashion is fast fashion, right? It's, 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 it's not the point. It's, it's you know, I, whatever emotional connection you have to the category. The point is that you were really satisfied in having drilled into how Inditex is organized with someone that was really credible. And, and here we are, what, seven years later, doing work on Inditex and, and Sheen. Well, I thought I knew what, what Inditex <laughs> done back then, and I was, I was, I was close, but, but, but now I feel like with, with this piece of work, yeah, Sheen has effectively really made me revisit the whole supply chain and it's not just fashion really i mean obviously fashion is one and sheen's actually bringing this to the forefront where it's a philosophy you know and zara back then one of the big lessons that we one of the big takeaways was zara prioritized speed over cost that's the philosophy and it wasn't about the landed margin and the intake margin it was about the it was about actually the net intake margin. And that's like the, that's, that's the fashion terminology for effectively a product gross margin, a gross, gross margin. So landed product cost. Well, the, the price of the product, but that's the landed cost is the, is the net is the, is the intake margin. If you set at full price, it's a big if. And then the net intake margin is the, is the gross margin or the product margin after you discount. And so historically, and, and this came about because I was I was actually studying New Look on the credit side that went bust, that well, continually went bust, you know, every every cycle, um, and they they just and many other retailers, fashion retailers, but it's also a kind of a cultural thing and a, again like a philosophy, a philosophy uh, principle of choosing cost rather than speed. And, and especially when you're in a fast moving industry like fashion, if you don't, if you choose cost and you're wrong, you have high inventory write downs, you know, high promotional activity, which means your net intake margin is very low. And yeah. And then you end up becoming like new look, but just continue to go and bust. So I think there was there was a big lesson there for me in just studying and understanding how a supply chain is structured, how it works, but also more philosophically around how people think about their business. And Zara is structured to focus on speed because they believe that if you get quickest to market and you limit your inventory as much as possible, you can do more full price sales, i.e. your net intake margin will be higher than your competitors 
even though your cost, your landed cost is higher because you're producing in Turkey and Morocco and you're flying it or you or even if you produce in China, you're out of where you're flying it from China or Bangladesh to, to Spain. But because you're selling more at full price, your actual margins, and that's why Zara earns a 17, 16, 17% operating margin. They're higher than competitors because you're, you're turning your inventory quicker at, at better pricing. That was, that was a kind of massive insight that seems so obvious. And, you know, why don't other people do this? But it was, it's, it's obviously very hard to replicate unless you have that philosophy and you also design it from the ground up, focused on that. Because it's very easy, and this is what everyone does, is just focus on cost, landed cost, and taking inventory risk up front, season, you know, ahead of seasons. And you get crushed when, you know, when it rains and it's supposed to be sunny <laughs> and you've got all t-shirts and dresses and they're not going to sell so but i think this why this has come up again is also interesting because you know first of all we have this hypothesis that we test or we like to test across different retail categories that these online retailers are structurally advantaged versus physical retailers and just trying to put that to the test. Um, you know, there are many reasons for that. Potentially, some Amazon have proven out, right? In terms of the, in terms of the, the raw scale of, of putting more volume through, through more nodes of, of, of infrastructure, logistics infrastructure, rather than distributing it out through stores. It's obviously just much. You have an infinite shelf space. You can manage the we can produce a more consistent customer experience online and you can in different stores fast fashion is is also an area we want to test this with and it's specifically because i saw one stat around sheen and it's not no one knows by the way if these are accurate or not but the rough numbers seem to be they're doing 20 billion in sales on a run rate now dollars right is basically what Zara has done. And in 2017-18, I think Sheen were doing like, I don't know, a couple hundred million sales. And then 20 billion now, which is what Zara have done after 50 years. The scale is just almost <laughs> unfathomable. And so understanding what they're doing and how is possible was was kind of the essence of this of a of a kind of diversion that I wasn't I wasn't planning to go into fast fashion but I, up, I just ended up there and before you know I was reading Chinese media press and speaking to Chinese suppliers and stuff but it was pretty it's pretty interesting I think you know we can discuss that in a moment but I think there's the, the reason why this is particularly fascinating is because. You know, putting aside, you can't put aside the sustainability problems, right? But, but actually, the philosophy, the supply chain philosophy, can be deployed in an ethical and sustainable manner. You can take out the core principles because Sheen has got some incredible principles that they're deploying in terms of the way they're approaching their designing their 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 supply chain and the way they're thinking about their business. And you can deploy that in a, in a, in a sustainable, i.e. you can buy sustainable cotton 
You can pay your labor force. You can check every supplier site. You can do the best-in-class things that Zara does and still have all of those, all of the best parts of the supply chain. You're just going to have a more expensive product, but that's fine. And it'll be higher-quality product. So it, it's it's there's a lot of lessons there that I think are particularly not only interesting for people that are operating e-commerce or retail, but also quite worrying for, pe- for for other retailers, you know, like obviously Boohoo, ASOS. They don't, ha- you know, they're, they're obviously trading pretty cheaply now. They don't have to become the same scale as Sheen, but it does make you think, yeah, how, how you can compete with a company like this. Can we talk a little bit about the the context for this kind of investigation and how you've determined to, first of all, the research questions and how to present the findings? Well, the research questions uh, came naturally because of the, the supply chain defines the whole business right, for these fashion retailers, specifically but you know, for most retailers, but mainly for fashion retailers, given the speed, right? So... In fashion, it's all about lead time. It's all about, I mean, obviously getting the right inventory at the right place at the right price at the right time, like any retail. It's just much, much harder in fashion because it's quicker. You know, you're not buying Duracell batteries that are, you know, they're batteries. You're buying a summer dress with flowers on it and one minute it's cool and the next minute it's not. So, so understand how you design that to minimize the fashion risk is is the question and if you look at the history of of fashion retail 25 odd years ago zara built their su- supply chain from la coruña in, in spain and and out you know they had to met most of i think 60 70 or 70 80 percent of their supply base was coming from china bangladesh you know 10 15 years ago now that's more like 60, 70, 60 odd percent from nearshore, which is Turkey, Morocco, Portugal. They've flipped that in the last 15 years. Um, but actually, their lead time hasn't changed in 20 years. It's been four weeks. Lead time, which is from design to sample to pre production to production to finished goods. Not in another week to deliver to actually put it on the uh, in a store, so it's actually five weeks end to end, but four weeks in the terms of the supply chain. That hasn't changed in twenty odd years, right? and that's been good enough to win the share they have because everyone else has been so bad and, like I said, been focused so much on cost. Now Sheen have come in, one well, and and, and no, no, don't get me wrong, Sheen wasn't I don't think the first one. I boohoo. And others have been doing this as well, a kind of test and repeat supply chain. But Sheen has just come and taken to a whole new level and obviously won this market share. So but the test and repeat supply chain, i.e. this real-time demand-focused supply chain rather than being supply-focused, is seemed to me like the most important question. And in the way to go about that, we just, well, I wanted just to speak to as many credible, sizable suppliers at Zara or for Zara and for Sheen and, other, and Boohoo and ASOS. Sometimes mod, they do, they, they sell, to, or most of them sell to multiple customers anyway. 
and also find formers that have worked in the buying and merchandising divisions of these of, of both retailers or all retailers. So it was really just a, a and I think part of the the, the 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 idea was to actually just you know, it was very simple, right? It was just literally go through, walk me through the value chain. Okay, you've got from cotton, right? Where is the field where you pick the cotton? to give me the finished good and, you know, and I'm going to buy it online and see what it looks like. So walk me through every single stage of that. And it's actually quite like everything. It's always so much more complicated than you can, than you can imagine. And I think part of the challenge in this piece of work that, that well, when you're doing anything with suppliers is that, you know, you you have to make sure that the supplier is somewhat representative of, of the wider supply base. Otherwise, you're going to start to draw, you know, false conclusions from the conversations you had. So, like, we spent a lot of time. You know, not only was it difficult to find these people because they're Chinese or or, or speak different languages, um, but actually just understanding what they, you know, what type of supplier they are. Like, how many units do they do? What products do they sell for? At what seasons? Who else do they supply? Where are the factories? What type of business model do you do? FOB? Do you do ODM? Like, you know, there's a lot of just level setting before you can actually understand what's going on because everyone's slightly different. So we spent a lot of time finding the right people, finding the right suppliers, finding the finding the formers who worked at the retailer to understand how that relationship works on both sides of the fence. And then we produced this, you know, we we started with Zara because we, that was the, obviously the incumbents. We wanted to make sure we understood exactly how Zara worked. Obviously, like I said, I've done this work on this before in the past, so it didn't take me too long to get up to speed, but there was bits that were missing in my understanding. And so we went through and done, spoke to a bunch of people with Zara, Zara suppliers, made sure we understand exactly how their process works, and then went over to Sheen. And it's just, yeah, it's completely different. Which was fascinating. What surprised you? I mean, it didn't necessarily surprise me because you can, all supply chains are moving much quicker. And, and quicker means like reduced, well, reducing the gap between supply and demand effectively and becoming you know, this on demand. Um, supply chains which minimizes your inventory which requires less capital which can increase returns can you know can make you reduce the prices which makes you increase your sales and earn a decent return on capital at a, at a, at a at eat market share basically what sheen has done um i knew that it was going to be a faster supply chain what was the most surprising was exactly how they've organized their supply base relative to the the incumbents and it's one thing that i think could be part of their moat that others can't compete with in terms of how anyone can try and get a supplier to just manufacture a hundred units instead of ten thousand units right but organizing from from the from the buying and the merchandising to the to the sampling to the to the way that they communicate with their supply base that whole again the philosophy is completely different so it's not it's not structured like a fashion retailer um so that is that that the the, the real insight there is that they 
they've built this to almost eliminate all fashion risk from from the business. And that means that they've also it doesn't stop them going into any other categories as well, which is which you've seen now with I mean Timu is basically replicating Sheen's supply chain. And Sheen's also moving into different types of goods. The question is what you know, what gets interesting, where can they actually move? Can they move into more into general merchandise? Can they move into furniture? Can they and there's various other Chinese based replicas of Sheen in different categories already. I came across so many in fashion and, and so many in other categories. So I think the way that they work with their supplier base, and not only that, like the, the, to be a supplier for Sheen is very, very different. You have to adapt a lot. There's actually people that are not, that, that it's not clear from the outside looking in. And you have to sample very differently. You have to move much quicker. You have to get much more approvals done at different speeds, at different uh, requirements there's a lot more infrastructure the supplier has to bring internally to speed up the process for sheen to get the repeat orders so I, I don't i think the challenge for asos and boohoo and some of these others call it faster fashion players is moving as quick as sheen at the same price point is going to be tricky. And Zara won't be that affected because they're much more, they sub a different customer base. Uh, people actually pay, you know, Zara's like double the price of Sheen, right? Per unit across categories. And that, and Zara is known to be a fashion, a trendsetter in their space. Obviously they just rip off like Chanel and all the luxury brands, but in fast fashion world, they're a trendsetter and everyone else strips off Zara. <laughs> so it's just everyone's copying each other effectively. But, but that, so Zara might, might not be too uh, too badly affected, but some of the other players, it's going to be interesting to see specifically for Zara, uh, for ASOS and Boohoo over the next 12 to 18 months coming out of the uh, post-COVID period, their sales have declined, and so it's it's unclear how much how much of that is due to a post-COVID hangover, and actually how much is due to Sheen. So we've listed a set of further research questions on both of these recently published pieces. As we wrap up, is is there anything you want to say on that in terms of what? what IP subscribers can expect over the next year or so on this subject? Well, I think we'll be doing some work on ASOS and Boohoo to understand how they're going to try and combat that risk, right? Which we've already seen that they're, they're, they're trying to become quicker. And so the question is, can you, it's a pretty interesting case study because the economics are very different, you know? And so for example, Sheen pays, pays within days, pays the supplier within days. The pay, days payable is like, which is incredible if you're a supplier. Zara pays you 120, ASOS 100, Boohoo 80. So if you're a supplier, you want to get paid in three days or 120 days? <laughs> and you and also as a supplier, you get paid, you know, you pay for your fabric also on a six-month lead time. So you basically got five months of five months of cash. That's just hard to compete with anyway, apples to apples. So 
So I think we're going to see how it's going to be interesting to see how ASOS and Boohoo reacts. Again, it's not, there's a lot of, it's, the market's very fluid because people always want different clothing. That's a different conversation. And you can kind of differentiate yourself in different, in, in many ways in terms of the styles you have. But the speed that Sheena coming in is, is, I think it'd be interesting to see how ASOS and Boohoo adapt to improve their supply chains, get quicker, reduce the inventory, and actually reduce the reduce the pricing. Whilst being sustainable is going to be a big challenge, and that's a, you know that's that's part of the problem is that Sheen has no compliance, well, very little compliance compared to the others, and as long as it's private, it has no major requirement to comply with with much until it until it tries to list <laughs> which is a problem yeah and in the meantime you either take on some lessons or you you do something you play a different game yeah and this is the problem though for like for amazon and other players is that you know they, there's no reason why you can't do part of the same in general merchandise and there's lots of you know, risks here, like, you know, there's skirted input, import duties that come in. That's going to change over the next few years. That will have an impact. So the price would go up for Sheen anyway. But still, there's a, there's a, there's a quite a, um, there's a fairly big difference now in the economics between the days payable, the inventory days on hand, and just the overall pricing in the market. But it's not impossible for Boohoo and ASOS to react because Boohoo have done it before, right? They were some, arguably, the pioneers of test and repeat. Back in you know the early two thousand tens, they've they've come in rapidly and, and 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 effectively pioneered this model. They've just been outrun and or at least been yeah overtaken by Sheen. But they can get back to their roots, and then you've got a you know you, you're going to have a an interesting evolution in that market where people are getting quicker. Prices are trying to. Are going, to, are going to potentially come down for at least for the near term, and then it's a case of you know of how that shakes out over three to five years is really difficult. But I don't think Boohoo and ASOS need to become as big a sheen as, as certainly to make the equity work from here. They're, they're trading at ridiculous valuations, like everything in the UK. But yeah, so we'll be I'll be following this pretty closely, and just the idea is to understand more about how ASOS is trying to adapt, how Boohoo's trying to adapt. And, and yeah, also just try and understand how this can be, how lessons can be translated into other categories. And we do do some work on Timu and how, how the supply chain is different for general merchandise, which it is very different. Um, but the, again, the principles are going to be the same. And so the adventure continues. Yeah, let's see what happens. 